Hey everybody, welcome. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin prices in the age of uh, <laughs> the NASDAQ drop. What a week. Anyone following the stock market, this is crazy, but that is the wrong show. Um, we are here with some awesome guests and welcome to Disrupt TV. We're in the green room where we actually spend some time doing a little quick interviews and conversations with our guests. So um, yeah, so starting in reverse order, uh, we're going to be asking our guests, uh, Corey and Jeff, what are you guys talking about today? What's hot? And uh, definitely what's not, uh, but what's hot? Uh, what's going on in your space and who are you calling in from? So Jeff, Corey, go ahead. Good, Corey. No, certainly, thank you. Too polite. So what's hot is a little bit of a pun. Sustainability is hot, right? Is there any bigger you know, issue about what is hot right now? So that's what it's about. Very cool. And you're calling in from where? Are you coming in from? I think Corey's coming in from Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm coming to you from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, it's hot and hopefully make sustainability practical as well. Very, very cool. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a hot topic and definitely one that's uh, for quite some time. Katie, where are you calling in from, joining us in from? And of course, what are you talking about today? So I am joining you from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I'm going to be talking about the product to consumer P2C category launch for products up. Um, we're going to be talking about commerce anarchy, right? How do you get your products to those consumers as fast as possible? Karen does it fast, 87 days, with her new book, Holy Mackerel. Karen, you are just rocking, I heard. Well, I think it's the Midwest connection that we share because I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana today, where I have chosen to reframe that it is actually sand falling from the sky and we're creating an enormous beach outside the window today. It's not a snowstorm. It's, it's, a, it's actually a sandstorm. That's how I'm reframing success and what's hot here is not the weather. I think it's employee experience and a lot of new AI powered solutions to employee experience in the future of work. Well, this is awesome. We are on episode 265 and we'll send it back to our producer to do the countdown. All yours, All right. Elf. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Mala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Ray's a regular television, business, and technology news contributor. You can find him on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, and, and more. <laughs> He's a global sought-after keynote speaker. In my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWAG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Thanks a lot, Bala. I'm here with my awesome co-host, co-founder. He's the chief digital evangelist at Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspire, inspirational and insightful tweets. You know, when he's not hosting, when he's not keynote, when he's not speaking, um, you can find him on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and, of course, posting often, off, like, oftenly uh, um, awesome posts on ZDNet and, of course, other areas. Uh, we We've seen him speaking almost everywhere. So welcome, Bala, and uh, welcome to our guests. But it's not about us. It's about our awesome guests. And, of course, who do we have to kick it off today? 
We're so privileged to have absolutely, truly an awesome guest. Karen Manji is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, vice president of customer and market insights at a company that I'm familiar with, Salesforce. <laughs> Karen is an internationally recognized thought leader whose TEDx appearances, keynotes, blogs, books have reached hundreds of thousands. We need to update this. It's probably millions of business leaders each year. She's the author of Working From Home, Listen Up, How to tune into customers and turn down the noise, success with less. Her latest book, a Wall Street Journal best-selling book. By the way, all the other books are behind me. I can just only hold up one book. <laughs> She's such a prolific writer. Is, uh, is titled Success From Anywhere. We're going to talk about the book during, during the next 20 minutes. Karen's also a prolific blogger and sought-after media thought leader. I'm guessing over 100 articles in the last 12 months or so. She's been featured in Forbes, regularly contributes to Thrive Global, and three dozen articles on ZDNet in the last year or so. Thinker 60 named Karen is one of the top 20 thought leaders and influencers for mental health globally. As Vice President of Customer and Market Insights at Salesforce, Karen engages current and future customers around the world to discover new ways of creating success and growth. Wonderful case studies in all the books that Karen has published in the last 12 months or so. And fantastic follow on Twitter, Karen Mangia, K-A-R-E-N-M-A-N-G-I-A. Welcome back, Karen, to Disrupt TV. Thanks so much. This is like joining a master class. I mean, between the brilliance the two of you share here and on Twitter, I'm learning something all the time, all day, every day. Thank you so much. You're so kind. Congratulations on all the books. And this book is amazing. I mean, I'm, I got the box. I, I saw the video. It was amazing. And you've got some wonderful frameworks in there um, really around, you know, where work is headed and of course where individuals can succeed. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, the framework that you have. Um, you know, this is really where you're talking about defining and designing and delivering on the future of work. You call it the four W's. Let's go through them and let's start there because I think that's a great place for people to understand what's in the book. And of course, the knowledge and insight you've been sharing with us over the last three books. I started thinking that the future of work seems like a very big topic. And I think a lot of people feel a little bit stuck. I mean, how do you build a plan that you might have to adapt multiple times? And I think it's easy to believe that our best contribution as leaders is to show up with all the answers. And what I'm discovering is great leaders ask great questions. And wow. so that four W's framework, right, is all about how do we frame up some thought provoking questions and have a conversation that leads to some discoveries? I mean, knowing is the enemy of discovering, right? <laughs> so the four W's framework, I think about it this way. The first W is work. I mean, yep. what is the work that needs to be done now in our organizations and how has that fundamentally shifted? And I think it has for just about every organization I work with. I mean, Ray, you, you talk about this a lot also, right? The, the nature of work itself is shifting. The second W is about your workforce. I mean, who is it that needs to be doing this work, first of all? I mean, is that a flex workforce, right? Is it you've got some people who go part-time? What does that look like? What new skills does this workforce need? And I think coming to the forefront with things like the Great Resignation, what are the highest aspirations of the workforce that you have? Third W is workplace. Where does this work need to happen? How much work could be asynchronous versus synchronous? And I think within that is when we're, we're putting out these suggestions or mandates that people need to come to a physical place, how can we commit to gathering with purpose when we need to be together or need to be doing synchronous work? Uh, and then the fourth W I, I think is the foundation really of succeeding at 
work and workforce in the workplace. And that's the workflow, right? I mean, how information and insights move from place to place, how people onboard, discover one another, make new connections, connect with customers requires rethinking the workflow that enables those other three. It's, it's great. I love the word flow. Um, it's it's uh, something that when you're good at, you can compete and win in this new economy. And if you're not good at optimizing flow and you have too much friction and process rigor, it's hard to create value at the speed of need. I'm looking at your book, Congratulations, endorsement from Soledad O'Brien, Marshall Gortsmith, Ken Blanchard, Ariana Huffington. I mean, really no surprise that it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller. So in the process of writing the book, and you do this, you, you were leading advocacy at Cisco before you joined Salesforce. So you've always uh, had a passion of learning from our best and brightest customers. And, and so can you talk to us about organizations that are actually thriving in this environment? You referenced great resignation, but like 22 months ago, the world went decentralized no more meeting in centers and headquarters and offices. The world went digital first, um, arguably digital only for so many of us for many, many months. And, and, and the boundaries went beyond the wall. So it became a boundless, decentralized, digital first world, like a light switch. So many com companies struggled and they continue to struggle, but some are thriving. What are these folks doing differently that's helping them actually grow in this once in a lifetime experience that we've had in the last 22 months? There, there are two examples that show up for me and there's a lesson within them. I think that we can all learn about how to reconcile this gap or tension that we're feeling right now between what employers are willing to give and what employees expect, right? If you think about that as a Venn diagram, I mean, we are feeling some tension there, right? I mean, the expectations employees have of their employers have shifted. It's why we see people stepping away and making different choices. And what I love about these two organizations and the practices I'm going to share is it looks in the direction of how to solve and close that gap in a way where everyone can win. You know, we re rework work in a way that, that matters and looks in the direction of more meaning and what people want, which I think is more of what matters, not necessarily always more pay, more PTO, more perks and the kinds of playbooks we've used in the past. So the first example that shows up for me is General Mills. And of course, we all extensively patronized General Mills during the pandemic, buying up all the cereal and flour. And we are apparently all going to compete simultaneously on the Great British Baking Show. Very exciting. I mean, these were essential workers. And in not surprising news, they reported a high degree of burnout. And well-intentioned leaders said we should do something to address that. And they rolled out a program. They said, we hear you. You're burnt out. Here's some extra PTO. And they were perplexed when only 8% of their employees opted into that offer. So think about that, 8% out of 10,000. And so they stepped away and thought to themselves, what might we be missing? And so they got very curious. They did a lot of deep listening with their employees about what might show up as a benefit. How could we combat burnout? And they also took the very smart step of engaging an organization that is expert in neuroscience, You know how our brain works to light up rewards and motivation. And so they went back in 2021 General Mills, to the same workforce, and they said, you're burnt out. Your wellness is top of mind. We hear you. That's why we are offering the Gift of Choice program. And within the Gift of Choice program, you'll have three options. Number one, more PTO. Number two, more pay. So literal cash. 
Number three, donation to a not-for-profit of your choosing. Within 24 hours, 85% of the employee population had opted into the gift of choice program, right? So they're already on their way. I mean, 8% to 85% is a significant improvement. And guess what the number one choice was? I mean, out of more PTO, more pay, donation to a not-for-profit. What what do you think it was? You're you're smart people. And and the guests can guess too. (laughs) I'm inclined to say more pay, but I think it's donation to charitable costs. Yeah, yeah, same here as well, <laughs> which yeah. is really surprising. Paradoxically, it's more PTO. And here's why that story is mind-blowing to me. The employer got to the outcome they originally wanted, mm. and the only thing that changed between the first program and the second program was choice. Wow. Why this works is for all humans on planet Earth. When we are unexpectedly offered a set of choices that we view as favorable, it lights up all the things in our brain that say, I feel seen, I feel heard, I feel great here. And I think what might change if choice is what we offered? And this was based on an understanding of what employees expected. And then the employer said, out of that list, here's what I'm willing to offer. Now, another business that takes that concept of choice a step further is an AI-powered business that's called Gift Pack. And Giftpack uses AI and predictive analytics to take the preferences of your employees and match them with gifts, incentives, and rewards to proactively Mm -hmm. offer a set of choices tuned to your preferences and the preferences of other people like you. And what they are discovering and can statistically correlate is an improvement in employee satisfaction, employee experience and overall employee retention. I mean, something as simple as instead of us sending you the company mug or the hoodie or the hat, we figured out that what you want is a workcation. So we offered you an Airbnb gift certificate, you know, some flight credits and and maybe a gift certificate to DoorDash. And it's getting big results. But I love that it's a technology powered business that that's fueling choices that are resonating on, I think, one of the greatest topics of our time, employee experience. That's awesome. If Salesforce AI is listening, Celtics tickets. Okay, all right, go. Uh, yeah, but one of the things that you do talk about, and this actually touches upon this as well, is is time, right? Are you managing your time or is time managing you? And this is a great example. People want more time, right? I mean, we're in the middle of this great refactoring where people are saying, hey, my work-life priorities are different. My aspirations are different. Companies are doing the same thing with their businesses. They're saying it is different. Like we have to refactor our decision-making, our business strategy, what's going on. But let's, let's work on that point. I mean, you know, is time managing you or are you managing your time? I thought that was a very insightful point. And I think you put that on a list of things people should look at um, as they think about their 2022 resolutions. Well, and I thought about it this way, as opposed to having the mindset of, you know, what's this year going to bring? I mean, I thought about the opposite direction, which is what am I going to bring to this year? Hmm. Nice. And for all of us, I think that tiny mindset shift puts us in the mode of being reactive as in, you know, responding to all the emails and taking all the meetings to proactive and looking in the direction Mm -hmm. of service. I mean, if I am being thoughtful and for so many of the leaders who watch your show, they're looking in the direction of service and impact and contribution. And the, the opportunity to do that comes from being proactive, not Mm -hmm. always just waiting to see what shows up and then doing your best response. And so, you know, we had talked about this a little bit when the working from home book came out with routines, rituals, and boundaries. 
But I think about it, this, if your aspiration is to be proactive and to be present and to be a great leader who's of service and creating lasting impact and resonance, you have to spend your best energy toward what matters most. And if everything is important, then nothing is important. So I like to ask and pose to my own calendar and my to-do list, and I offer this to others as well, three challenge questions and a bonus question. Does it have to be? Does it have to be me? Does it have to be me right now? And bonus question for the win that usually gets universal applause. Does it have to be a meeting? I mean, why aren't we rethinking the meeting culture? Does everything have to be a meeting? Does every meeting have a purpose besides FaceTime for some people? Maybe, but that's, a, is it purposeful? Yeah, I love that. Awesome. I love Every that. It's, it, you got to build that asynchronous work muscle. You, yeah. you, to be able to substitute a 45 minute or a half hour meeting for just a handful of, you know, uh, Slack messages or even email. Um, I think I think people are better at it now than they were 22 months ago, but it is a muscle that needs to be developed. Now, speaking of developing muscles, throughout your book, many chapters end with a section, Game Changers. And you ask these questions where the reader can reflect about the chapter, but then also take some actionable steps in order to align their thinking and their doing to what you're recommending. So Success From Anywhere has a playbook. What made you structure a playbook with the book? And can you give us like an example of a playbook? Yeah, I was looking in the direction of how to help these resources scale because I'm hearing from so many leaders and teams and individuals who are trying to redefine success and rework work. And they're looking for some new thoughts to consider and some new ideas. And I just thought, what would happen if I could offer some tools and questions to turn over to people to get their own results in their own context? I mean, the magic isn't me. The magic is discovering something that points you in the direction of creating new choices and, and new ideas, right? There's one of the game changers. Uh, an example is the stress-free experiment. And when I think about constructing an organization that's built to last, it's all about the foundation, right? And you know, if you think about a building like a skyscraper, if there are cracks in the foundation, what happens? I mean, that building starts to settle, right? And a building that settles and is left unattended will eventually cave in on itself. And, and what I think is showing up in this stress-free experiment and thinking about how we construct the future is, you know, we, we've pulled back the layers and figured out we're settling for some things that may not serve us. Hmm. And building a solid foundation begins with re-examining our values. And so the stress-free experiment works like this. And there's an example of it in the playbook and in the game changers. The stress-free experiment was originally created by the researchers at Stanford with a group of university students that were reporting high degrees of burnout and stress that were affecting their performance. And they gave them an assignment and said, over the holiday break, you will each use a literal pen and paper, which I'm sure came as a shock to them. And some had to purchase these items or check with their parents about what they are. But be that as it may, 10 minutes a day, they were just to write in a journal, no rules, exactly. And for a small group, they said, but for you, we have a special assignment. Your 10 minute writing assignment is to write about your top value and how that value shows up in your everyday life. And Vala's showing you a list of values from which you can select in the book. And you can conduct this experiment, I mean, tonight, this weekend, individually with your team, literally pen and paper, there's magic in that, and 10 minutes top value and how it shows up in your everyday life. What they discovered and have repeated 
with thousands of burnt out workers, high performance executives, athletes, and the like, is that when you reconnect with your values, you see your circumstances and experiences through a different lens. You find the upside, right? You find, and Kelly McGonigal writes about this in her brilliant book, The Upside of Stress. You find the upside, you reconnect with what matters. Over time, those students and the others they've gone on to study who conducted this stress-free experiment scientifically had higher levels of performance, resilience, yeah. confidence, adaptability, and ultimately delivered new ideas. I love the practical advice of make a list of stuff that brings you joy, make a list of stuff you do every day, now compare the list. And, yes. and it's just such practical, awesome advice. Yeah, yeah and I just did stuff. this with a group of executive senior leaders uh, in a healthcare organization, and it was part of their team offsite. And they each spent 10 minutes individually writing about the top value they wanted to show up in their work life, like in the life of their culture. And then we did a compare and contrast. And it was interesting to see where values like trust were pretty consistent. And then after about two values, there was a significant disparity. And I thought, yeah. how will we find a way forward as leaders and, and building a future of work that works if we don't share the same values? And so that's what we spent some time on is really reconciling who are we and what are we about and what are these values we want to show up, not just in our life, but in our work life every day. Terrific. 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 Amazing stuff. Um, hopefully you guys can hear me okay. And uh, we're with Karen Mangia, um, best-selling author, keynote speaker, and VP of Customer Market Insights at Salesforce. You can follow her on Twitter at Karen, M-A-N-G-I-A, and check out the playbooks and success from anywhere. Um, pick it up from uh, anywhere where you pick up books. Uh, and of course, this is a best-selling book. So congratulations. Thank you, Karen. Thank you both. And thanks for your support on the book and forming ideas and, and for having this thoughtful forum for us to all learn from together. Thank this, you. You're awesome. Thank yeah. you, Karen. Cheers. <laughs> Super smart. Wow. Um, great book. Highly recommended. Okay. Our next guest is also going to ex expand our mind. <laughs> Katie Morrow, Director, Managed Services, Regional Manager, North America, ANZ at ProductsUp. Katie is responsible for working directly with ProductsUp customers to help them overcome commerce anarchy. We're going to learn a new term, commerce anarchy, by streamlining product information value chain management. With over 12 years of experience in digital advertising, Katie has developed skills that include building trust, report, and cross-functional uh, technical teams, putting the customer first, and managing time-based goals through prioritization and sequencing. She started her career as a, on the agency side, eventually transitioned to client success team at Google, where she supported clients throughout Google's shopping implementation process. You can follow Katie's company on Twitter at P-R-O-D-U-C-T-S-U-P, products up. Welcome, Katie, to the Shop TV. Thank you so much for having me. I am stoked to be here. Thank you. Hey, we're excited <laughs> to have you. Katie, a quick question for you. Let's start with the commerce anarchy uh, conversation because that's really uh, the issue. And I think one of the challenges, like why are we in commerce anarchy? What is commerce anarchy? Uh, and, and let's start there and so we can set the stage as to you know, what, you know, what customers are facing, what you know, sellers and enterprises and brands are facing. Well, we're all facing it, right? So you mentioned a lot of the different voices. Um, so customers are facing commerce anarchy when they go out to shop and can't get the products that they need. Um, when they don't have the right availability set on people's websites or you see it all the time with the wrong image. Um, commerce anarchy is what we're all trying to 
figure out as brands, manufacturers, and retailers on how to quickly get our products to consumers, right? So the PIVC journey, product information value chain, is really what we're attempting to talk about. How do you get your products as quickly as possible to all the different channels out there that have all the different technical specifications and do it to a point that resonates with your brand? So you're talking about search and social and you're talking about marketplaces and how are they all going to drive to the consumer to get that ROAS that you've been needing? And are you doing it in a way that makes you feel good about your brand? That makes a lot of sense. We had NRF, largest retail conference in New York uh, a week ago. And can you talk about the current state of commerce landscape and also Talk about some innovation that's happening in the retail landscape when it comes to commerce. Well, I want to talk about the U.S. economy's growth, right? 5.7%, the fastest growth since we saw in 1984. So 1984, let's take ourselves back there a smidge. We have the Apple Macintosh computer, guys, okay? (laughs) So the launch of the Ridley Scott commercial, I hope it comes back. So if you haven't seen it, definitely go out and check it out. You also have the CD-ROM and Prince Harry first arrived. So any (laughs) of us with the fans, that was the arrival of Prince Harry. So we are seeing the fastest growth in commerce since 1984. And in that, not, I mean, the complexities, right? You look at this Macintosh commercial and you even look at the computer itself and it almost is comical, I will tell you. So now I'm hosting virtual conferences in the metaverse, right? (laughs) 150 people. And in that commerce space, what if I wanted to purchase a shirt from my company, right? So I want to get my branded logo shirt in that conference. That is the ever-changing landscape that we are facing. How does Apple get their iPhone in Ikea's furniture room in the demo space, right? Mm -hmm. I want to buy that iPhone sitting on that desk too. So you're looking at brands and manufacturers having to work together in a way that they've never had to before. And in a way that says we could really have destruction of our brand from the very, from a very, very specific product to information value chain problem, right? So if we launch a net new product like Peloton and we can't deliver, how is that going to resonate on our brand? It is an amazing product. There's great consumer buy-in, but we're not going to be able to fulfill orders. Hmm. So commerce anarchy in this ever-changing landscape says you need to be able to spin on a dime and pivot and figure out how to get to that Peloton user who's disappointed that they're going to still be sitting on their butts and not (laughs) up in the air, right? So, I mean, with all of that being said, it is our responsibility as marketers to provide the best experience to our customers. And we want to drive those revenues. But omni-channel, 
omni-channel systems, right? You have a PIM and an ERP and an OMS, and you're sending them to a marketplace and to a search engine, and you're praying that that customer is going to click on that buy now button. Well, does it still feel good to them at the point that they are in their journey? So they're so quickly discovering to purchase. I mean, Karen's book was out in 87 days. So she's like ready. She's ready to bring in that new revenue. But is she ready? Does she have the best product placement? Does she have her inventories in place? Can someone go get that at their local bookstore right now? And is she ready to get them out online and reading her book and working from anywhere? Right? So we're all facing it. That's awesome. By the way, the Celtics won the championship in 1984. You know, just since we were talking about who's your basketball before we got on. Sorry, Ray. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was a good year, actually. Yeah, it was a great year. They beat the Lakers. <laughs> Fun stuff. So, yeah. Uh, Rob Parrish, Larry Bird. What a year. Um, anyways, yeah. So, yeah. But in addition to this, right, I mean, there are companies that haven't uh, succeeded, right? There are companies that have fallen victim to commerce, anarchy. Um, to give some examples of what that is, like what, what brands couldn't handle this, you know, uh, the, you know the, the chaos that exists when you have commerce anarchy? Right. Well, as a data diva, I'll tell you a lot of them aren't doing well. Okay. Um, from the largest brands and manufacturers in the world, we have a lot of people who just cannot get their products out to the consumers as quickly and well as possible. And it's an omni-channel problem. It's a brick and mortar, not talking to the systems on the online side. Um, so an example would be Toys R Us. They did not survive. Um, Sears, right? I mean, I used to remember the softer side of Sears and the catalog that would come out every year and it was very like heartwarming and we'd all sit around yes it was it was quite large but if you go on to sears's e-com site today are you really feeling that they are ready for the millennials are they ready for anyone to actually purchase on their site do they have different model sizes, right? Are they resonating with females and males with more lifestyle images? Are they just sticking with their product image only, right? So there are so many brands and manufacturers who are struggling to put together these systems so that all of them talk together and that they can actually attribute these sales as well to the proper channels and then optimize towards them. So Products Up is really looking to support everyone in these journeys. What does the right product look like? Are you getting it to the right channel? Can you do it quickly? Are you using stream APIs? Are you sending out Delta calculations? Are you continuing to syndicate out every product to every channel? And why? Why? <laughs> um, is that where your consumer is? So we really want to come in and consult with these L'Oreal's and Ikea's and everyone and say, look, we can support this journey. We can tell you what products are working and, and what channels. We can connect all of these systems together from the JSONs to the XMLs, and we'll talk data to you. But at the end of the day, we want you to know we think about the consumer's journey and that you know that's what's going to be the most important. Are you on the shoppables? Are you doing YouTube? I just got my first request for a Twitter feed. You know, Twitter's been out there advertising for eight months 
and nobody asked for a Twitter feed. So I was like, wow, here we are. It took eight months for someone to actually want to send products to Twitter. So in these fast paced, you know, marketplaces opening up in the middle of the night, (laughs) how are you going to be ready? And how are you going to be prepared to show your products where they need to be? No, it's a great point. You got a bomb cyclone coming, right? I I, I need shovels and gloves and uh, you know. That's us. Twenty eight <laughs> inches in the next twenty four hours. Thanks. Inches. Oh my Dialing god. Dialing in from Boston. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Katie, you mentioned Twitter. You mentioned so- social, like YouTube. We had um, head of software innovation from Accenture on our show last week, and Accenture predicted that uh, we'll go from four hundred ninety two billion in social commerce, commerce that originated from social channels to 1.2 trillion in the next three years. So a tripling effect in the next three years of social commerce, which is stunning. Um, Can you give us some of your predictions for maybe retail landscape for this year, 2022 and beyond? What are you seeing as potential trends that that, that we may experience in the next 12 months or so? Well, if you're not on TikTok, Okay. <laughs> Let's start there. Okay. So TikTok just overtook Google, right? Um, so if you ever thought that you weren't going to get on social, I would say now's the time to rethink it. So TikTok isn't just about funny dance videos. I really think that TikTok is the competition to Google's YouTube, right? So YouTube is absolutely out there with content rich stuff, but I don't feel that people feel Uh, compelled to shop, right? TikTok is bringing this to a place where millennials feel comfortable and they're ready to actually click buy now buttons right there from their app. And that is a really new concept. Mm -hmm. If I asked my mom, would you buy an ad through Facebook? If if it was a new beauty product, she would say, no, I'm going to go to a research phase, right? She's going to switch to that research hat and say, go find someone reputable, make sure I feel comfortable. Our millennials are so comfortable and so trusting in these social trends that they are willing to purchase that new pair of tennis shoes right there through that DSW ad. So it is amazing to see the trust that our certain generations are giving into these social platforms. So number one, TikTok. Number two, sustainability. We really saw in the last years that people realized that there was not unlimited resources, more so than they ever had before. We talked about going out and getting all the flour and the sugar because everyone was going to bake their new friendship bread or whatever they were doing, right, from the yeast. a 20-pound bag somewhere. <laughs> I do too, and rice, and rice as well. Um, but sustainability says that we're becoming more aware that there are limited resources. I went to the store a week ago and couldn't get cream cheese. Oh. I, I mean, I just kind of stood in the cream cheese. Like <laughs> it was, and they said, yeah, we, we, there's a shortage of cream cheese. I was in New York. They have to be in a line for tequila. So the bartender told me there is a hundred bars deep list to get tequila into the bar. So, you know, this type of sustainability that we're all thinking, oh, there was always unlimited tequila. (laughs) No, it's not unlimited anymore. So I think really- This is going to upset Ray big time, but go on. (laughs) The cream cheese 
confused is Kraft was paying people $20 not to bake cheesecake during the holidays. Yes. I mean, this is the craziest thing. You're like, what the heck was going on? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So cream, well, not cream cheese, but sustainability and an awareness, right? I mean, I know that we all think, yes, absolutely. There's always going to be butter and bread, and but there's not. And I think we all felt that in a way that we had never felt in this generation, right? In this 50 years. Hey, you know, let's switch it up a little bit and talk about what you see for 2022. We're still early enough in January where you see, you know, trends that are happening in retail, trends that are happening in commerce, you know, what's on your list? Yeah. So um, lots of video content. Everybody wants to get videos developed. So if you're a videographer, oh, congratulations wow. to you. Um, so get your studios ready because people need content and they need it fast and furiously. Um, online platforms, right? Forums to be, um, you know, these virtual events, that's absolutely in the landscape. So how can your products get placed into those events? Um, we see a lot of brands working with platforms. So Samsung Canada just did a great uh, collab with Google where they went out and said, we want to get more female millennials to buy our products. Google, how can you help us? So they saw an increase after a large campaign, right? Using social platforms to develop new new net new millennials who would never think to buy a Samsung. So I would say collaboration between brands, manufacturers, making sure everyone has the product data that they need with correct links. Um, and then shoppables, live TV, QVC mm. is back. Um, but it is all over. And so if you liked it back then, it is definitely here now. Wow. We had uh, a former CEO of Liverpool Football Club uh, on our show, and he talked about the metaverse uh, in the context of athletics, where you can have an immersive experience where you're on the pitch and you have, for example, a goalie's point of view, an interactive 3D-like environment where you can see how the goal, goal was scored and the striker and really just an incredible, almost like courtside seats at a basketball game. So it was fascinating to talk to, uh, to him about the metaverse and this innovation velocity in terms of 3D digital twins of, of an athletic venue. Can you talk about what the metaverse means for brands and retailers? And if I'm a CMO or a chief revenue officer or chief marketing, I, I suppose, how should I be thinking about the metaverse? Well, I think the metaverse equates to what I remember as the QR code moment, too. So a lot of years ago, this QR code came out, right? And everybody had to have one QR code, QR code, QR code. And I was like, what is this QR code? Um, and then nobody used it, right? So we all worked really, really hard to get our QR codes together. And then we didn't use it. Um, but then uh, fast forward to 2020 and all of a sudden QR codes became the next new thing, again, right? The new normal, you went to a restaurant, you scanned a QR code. Um, but the metaverse, right, is a little bit like that. So it is new and we're all gonna take steps to understand how this is gonna work. 
But for our brands and retailers, I think what they need to understand is that if they want a presence in what I would consider, you know, the Star Trek, the new generation, um, because that's what this is, the new generation, we can teleport ourselves into these virtual events and virtual spaces. So if I want a DKNY purse in this metaverse, then DKNY better get their stuff together and make sure their products are ready to be placed into these digital stores. And then when you talk about a Toys R Us or you talk about an Ikea, you have to go in and touch and feel. Well, how are we going to do that in the metaverse, right? You have to go in and you're going to have to figure out ways to make these experiences more interactive. To your point, can I sit on it, right? Hmm. Can I be in it? If I have a, a set of goggles, can I be in the room and walking around as opposed to using a webcam? So then we got to look at, okay, you know, VR technology. How are we going to keep up? How are we going to scale that to every home if that's what we're looking at? So it's the Jetsons meets Star <laughs> Ray is thinking about a Disrupt TV show in the metaverse. So I, I can hear, see the it. wheels thinking. <laughs> the gloves, exoskeletons, you're going to sit, right? You're going to get a little feedback on your butt, right? Like, is that, is that too tight? Yes. Soft, right? Yes. I, it, it's happening. Like, we, we like, oh, somewhere we've demoed something like this. But the only thing I don't want is smell. Please do not give me no small vision. <laughs> that's that's gonna cross the line for me. I can appreciate that. I can that's appreciate awesome. that. That's so, awesome. But that'll be fun. Well, hey, this is awesome. We are talking to Katie Morrow, Director of Managed Services and Regional Manager North America for an ANZ at Products Up. I hope we get to visit ANZ. Um, and uh, you can follow the company Twitter handle at Products Up. Congratulations on your launch, and thank you so much for being on the show. This thank Friday. you, Katie. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. You as well. Take thank care. you. Cheers. Wow. Well, it's a great segue that sustainability was brought up by, our, by Katie. Our, our next two guests, and I'll, I'll go quickly with the introductions, Corey Clickman and Jeff Kavanaugh are co-authors of a new book titled Practical, Practical Sustainability, Circular Commerce, Smarter Spaces, and Happier Humans. I love that. So like Corey that. Glickman is head of sustainability at Infosys. Corey leads a sustainability, smart spaces, and strategic design consulting group practice at Infosys. Corey, for 40 years plus, has had experience in industry consulting, providing technology business leadership experiences in strategic design thinking, applied system design, sustainability solutions, smart spaces, digital twins, extreme engineering, and digital transformation. He's a member of the MIT's Global Technology Advisory Board and a faculty expert guest lecturer with Singularity University. You can follow Corey on Twitter at C-O-R-E-Y. G-L-I-C-K-M-A-N. Welcome, Corey, to Disrupt TV. And with Corey, we have Jeff Kavanaugh, Vice President and Head of Infosys Knowledge Institute. Jeff is Vice President and Head of Infosys Knowledge Institute, the research and thought leadership arm of Infosys, and the leading tech and consultancy company. Jeff is an adjunct professor at the Jindal School of Management at the University of Texas, Dallas, and author of the books, The Live Enterprise and Consulting Essentials. Jeff has been published in Harvard's Business, Business Review and other leading business publications. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff uh, K-A-V. Jeff K-A-V. Welcome, Jeff, to Disrupt TV. Glad to be here. Thanks. 
Must have thank been you. early. Thank you for having me uh, both. Yeah, and if, and if everyone gets unmuted, we should be good. Uh, just making sure everyone's all right. Um, you know, this is a really hot topic. We just published a book, a big ideas around ESG, uh, a book of ideas in terms of like what's out there in terms of what's happening. And uh, you know, this is this is one of the hottest topics. Every company is starting to look at this and understand what's going on. Uh, but why is sustainability such a hard problem to solve? Right? I mean, Corey, Jeff, like what's driving this? Like, you know, it, it could be obvious. Like, why can't we get to it very quickly? Oh, it's it's a, such a complex thing, but I think we're finally reaching, quote, that asteroid is about to hit the planet moment, right? So wow. we're finally, yes, it's, guess what? I can't get that cream cheese we're talking about or the fact that <laughs> I can't afford a car that isn't electric powered and I'm cringed at if I have straws with paper at the, at the table. It, 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 there's at that level. And then from the other level, it's saying, if you don't know what cryptocurrency means, and if you don't have an ESG portfolio, then you're not you're not going to make it through here. And who's setting the rules across here? Exactly. So we've we, we're at this point now where it's recognized that a we have to get this right. Guess what? The planet will still survive. We may not survive in the way that we think we will, but hmm. the planet will survive. And we're just not going to have everything we thought we had before. So there is this very short window of time, for whatever reason that says we must get something under control. And there is why it's practical and why we talk about this. We already have the tools in place. The question is, is do we have the decision-making and the ability to, to go forward with it, be bold enough to do it? Yeah, Jeff, what do you think? Well, there's two parts. The first is there's a big bottoms-up push people who buy consumers they're saying i'm making choices not just based upon quality of product or price but how you're going about getting these things to me the experience so i think there's that aspect so you got to pay attention to it as a business the other is top down you've got uh, countries and organizations literally setting the rules up whether they're fines penalties carrots and sticks that are going to be in place so even the folks that are kind of on the fence are being moved off the fence both by their customers on the one side and regulatory bodies on the other and I think the other is why it's so hard is because it transcends anyone's individual uh, authority or responsibility. And mm -hmm. so you hope somebody else can can deal with it until it's in, like Corey said, the asteroid moment, you know, it's coming at you and you can't and avoid it. That's why it's hard. Good news is, is finally, kind of like that QR code moment before, hmm. these things have emerged and now it's a matter of how do we put them together and actually do something. Does it have to be led by the CEO of organizations? I say that because the founder of my company is very active and sustainability is included in just about every talk that he gives around the globe, regardless of the venue and the main topic. Uh, the founder of my company consistently um, has adopted a cadence over the last several years to make sure sustainability is top of mind. So my sense is that it's, it is difficult but for it to be sustainable, for it to scale, for, for you to create a, a, a movement, you really need to have leadership with skin in the game. Is that, is that a fair, fair comment? I think it's a very fair comment. Um, so that you, we're talking about that culture, right? So how do you drive that organization? And absolutely, because unless you get that, that, that buy-in and, and that leadership quotient, and what's really been great is as we've interacted with CEOs and your CEO in particular, they get it, right? Mm -hmm. That they, they not only understand sustainability and technology, but they also say, what does it take to move an organization um, into, into that realm going across there? 
I think that there is also pockets of um, throughout the organization and throughout other regulatory bodies, they get it, but whether they are motivated uh, to do so. And then I think the playing ground is very uneven. So it's one thing to say you're the CEO of a tier one company. You have lots of resources. Your, yep. your whole business is on here. What happens when you're a tier two or a tier three company that you don't have those resources and yet mm -hmm. you are expected to comply because for you to remain in somebody's supply chain in a circular economy across here, if you can't get with it, you're not going to be able to participate. And if you can't participate, guess what happens to the tier ones? They don't have the bread coming to the shelves, right? <laughs> yeah, and a lot of this is data driven, right? To be able to get here, right? I mean, we're trying to capture information and insights. We're trying to find correlations. We're trying to figure out how we're doing, uh, how we can improve ourselves. Um, and so um, tell us about why you wrote this book, Practical Sustainability, because, you know, there's a lot of information and insights here. It's not like, hey, you know, this theoretical thing is showing up, you know, great. Well, what do we do about it? I mean, you guys get back to the data, you get back to the science, you talk about how people can be successful here. Uh, Corey, Jeff, like what, what was the inspiration behind the book? So the inspiration behind the book and why we ultimately called it Practical Sustainability is we were fortunate enough to come out of an environment that, guess what, our company of 270,000 individuals that we work for, we're carbon net neutral now for two years, including our scope one, twos and threes. So wow. you're talking about 53 countries, 270,000 employees. Yes, we're more digital than, than most companies. It's different if you're a large materialistic company, but we have a lot of travel. We have... 50 million square feet of buildings that, that we take care of. So we have a huge footprint. Wow. So if we're able to do this 10 years ago, say we're going to take 10% of carbon out year over year and actually hit that marker within a 10 year period. And guess what? Doing this without buying carbon credits, not that buying carbon credits is bad because that runs the economy, but being able to do it through technology, through the data components. We ask ourselves when we see these markers that say 2040, 2050, uh, even 2025 or 27, we're going to get 30, 40% there. We're saying if we can do this based off of technologies that we did then that we're doing now, why can't companies or countries move forward in five years or seven years? And we just really asked that question. So we looked at the frameworks, we talked to lots of leaders. And the fact of the matter is, is that 50% of all of the sustainability quotient problems could be solved in five years based off of what we currently can do right now. Wow. That next 30%, it's more difficult to do, but you can get there. And the last 20%, we'll see if we get there. But if you can solve 50 to 30%. So when we focused the book on practical sustainability, we looked at a couple of elements. We said, it's a wide field. we got to look at circular commerce because we got to make mm. sure we get the goods in there and that if mm. the economies don't work and we don't understand those values, nobody's going right. to invest and companies won't survive or governments won't make decisions. The second point was saying, you got to look at buildings. Why is it so specific about buildings? Buildings are 40% of the footprint on the planet with sustainability. So even if you were to solve everything else and you still didn't solve 40% of the problem, we're all screwed, right? Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, is that buildings have this, we spend 90% of our time in buildings, 7% of our time in transportation or cars, 3% outside. That's a sad state, but that's the way wow. it is. So you've got to fix the buildings. It addresses, you know, much of what the other two guests were talking about across there. And then the third area, you know, that we really looked at was it's about humans and, and how are 
how do we move forward on here? And it's really interesting as we look at, you know, we talked heard a bit about the uh, future of the workplace and you know, making people um, be happier and more productive across here. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people are saying, hey, I want to be a doctor or I want to be an engineer or I'm going to be a pet store owner. And they're saying, but I also am interested in sustainability. Do I have to make a choice between having a career in sustainability or can I still be a doctor? And the answer is, of course, you do both, right? Why wouldn't you be a doctor that focuses on sustainability? Why do you have to make a decision between the two? And that's what we're hoping the next generation is. So the point of the fact is when it comes to practical sustainability, if you think about it, I can take care of 50% of what you have based on what you can do right now. That's a huge, huge win across there. Secondly, data and the finance is going to start this. You're going to be able to get down that road, the idea of taking all that complex data and actually use it in, in a way using whether it's machine learning or AI or digital twins or whatever the way you look at this data and the metrics, that is available. And then technology is what's going to follow through for you. Hmm. And then the you know, last part, is the culture ready? There's very few people on this planet that's going to say sustainability is a bad thing, right? So mm -hmm. at least we've, we've got the right mode here. Jeff, expand on that in terms of practical sustainability and and happier people and 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 the, some of the technologies that Corey just mentioned. Uh, I think you mentioned machine learning and AI. But what are some of the technologies that you believe can help us on this journey and at the same time make us happier? As, as, we're, as, we're, as we're going through these bold 10-year, 20, 30-year goals, uh, one of the things I just read, and I'm not sure who it's from, it says the greatest danger to our planet is the belief that someone else will save it. Um, so what are some of the technologies that, are, that have shown promise in terms of how we can achieve practical sustainability? Two-part answer since you said the mindset piece. I grew up on a farm, so sustainability was a different deal, right? Billing yeah. wire and duct tape is a real thing, by the way. <laughs> And there's this idea you can't keep extracting. You can harvest all you want, but if you don't fertilize, you don't control for erosion, you don't continue to replenish, it's all a cycle. There's a limit. The moisture, everything is very tightly controlled. In fact, by, by adjusting for the science, guess what? Our productivity in farmland has grown up 100 times. Yeah. So that was something drilled into us. And plus an appreciation. You're connected to something. Before yeah. the, the guests talked about sense of purpose, well... You know, that made sense. So I think if you carry that forward back to the mindset, the technologies that allow that human mindset and purpose to connect to something that's not so human, you know, a little bit more digital, that's yeah. important. So, for example, buildings, let's start with that. Think about Maslow's, we all often refer to Maslow's uh, hierarchy. Well, let's appear to it here. Well, it isn't just about how productive you are, how many clicks. Guess what? We found out, COVID did teach us that worker safety is actually a real thing. Health. Yeah. My goodness, just as footprint, traffic, temperature, we're using tech in a way that people feel safe, not just safe from, you know, at times of violence, literally healthy safe. So sure. that goes back to happier humans. Uh, the other aspect is being able to reduce those barriers. So if your building is aware of what you're doing or, or the, the extent to which you can interact and you don't have to burn a lot of energy doing so, yeah. By the way, sustainability isn't just about the power grid. It's yeah. about this grid, too. It's about yeah. uh, are you burning out, right? Yeah. For example, do you want to fire all your people because they don't know the next version of whatever computer language and hire the next crop of graduates? No. The yeah. point is there's a sustainable workforce. There's learning. And so I think 
that's the part of the human or the, the human aspect that we wanted to include because the tech, think about it. It's almost like you go back to organs. You got your brain, you got your, you got your hands, your feet, and your lungs. Well, guess what? Your brain can think, but you have to have the senses, right, coming in. Yeah, sure. And you have to act and do. So sense, act, you know, analyze and respond. And I think that's the practical part. Let's deconstruct what we can know. And Corey and I are fortunate that we're working with over a quarter million people who execution is, you know, woven into the DNA. And so by being able to, to count on certain things and then build the, the, the system of systems, yeah. how they're arranged, I think that's that next step is that now computational power, as well as maybe human enlightenment has reached the point, we're ready to take advantage of all these components. That's amazing. As a farmer, did you enjoy Consumer Electronics Show where the John Deere tractor is <laughs> autonomous and operated by a farmer? Dude, where have you been? They've been <laughs> autonomous for years. <laughs> yes. No, true, no. You, true, you've true. been able to go hands off doing the combine That's for awesome. a while, my friend. Get out and smell the corn. <laughs> I got to visit more farms. I do. I agree. Yeah. I'm 14 where I grew up. But, um, but hey, but, you know, back to Vala's point. I mean, you know, that, like, that quote from... Um, I think it was uh, Robert Swan, like a man who was in both North Pole and South Pole is right. I mean, I mean, that guy went through a lot of obstacles. You guys talk about obstacles that are happening in practical uh, sustainability. Uh, and really, in, in terms of what, what's going on, I mean, what are some of the obstacles that people will face, right? I mean, what should executives expect? Uh, what should companies expect when they're trying to integrate uh, some of these sustainable practices, approaches, and tech uh, in, into the best practices? Can I take one? And can I just add, as a parent of a middle schooler, high schooler, and a freshman in college, there's just not enough education about sustainability at the high school level. Like mm -hmm. our mindset is, is, you know, there's abundance and it, there's a, a level of wastefulness that I see with my, mm -hmm. my own kids and, and their friends. And I just feel like this is just not, it's, it's, it's a big enough issue that should be tackled frankly in middle school, in my opinion, but sorry, I didn't mean to. Right, if I could just jump in on Corey and start yeah. this one. I love this comment I heard before that this fallacy of marginal thinking. So the ideal of capitalism, you know, it's hardcore, you know, most mercenary is that squeeze that last quarter, that next increment and be productive. We're all efficiency minded like that to some extent. Yeah. The problem is you've got to pour some concrete sometimes where you have to get a, a foundation established. And I think that's where the senior leadership or getting to the point where you take that step and then the marginal things can happen. And I think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't, come about as fast is because people all think, well, if I do X, I don't get Y. Well, you might have to put in X as a foundation, which allows you the platform to do Y, Z, and on and up. And, and Jeff, it's the culture. Uh, we have a short-term mindset, not a long-term mindset. And that's yep. really what drives that. And that quarter-to-quarter -quarter EBITDA culture doesn't allow you to build in the foundations that are there. So, but hey, Corey, you're about to say something, sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm really interested in the whole metaverse component because I read Snow Crash back in 1984, right? <laughs> so here we are. And I actually met Robert Swan two years ago. Totally, We've had good totally. discussions about things. Yeah. But but as people people start tuning out, right? I've, I've got a I've got a dual problem with 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 the metaverse right now because I've got young teen son well older teen sons now and, and daughters and they're already too much gaming and, and not being yeah. in the real world. So this is the generation we're betting on right now. Yeah. And now they're being tempted to even disengage more with the physical world around them that says, okay, what matters is what I do here. And this is where, where we're going, whether it's commerce or whether it's mm -hmm. where we feel well and things like that. And then I'm looking at the other side of it saying more computing power, more cloud, mm 
more, more services, more edge computing in order to power this and, and that whole side of the economy. And what's really frightening to me is that when we think about all of our smartphones, I was at a Verizon store the other day and I got my phone. I said, you want my old phone? They said, no, go keep it. I'm like, <laughs> okay. I mean, so I've got another device. So how many more devices are going to be distributed and sold through here, but there is no plan, right, to do to repurpose these or to to make better with these coming across here. And I think that you'll have a group of um, individuals in this next generation that have more knowledge than they've ever had before, more yeah. skills and data available to them, but will they choose to really interact in a physical world as opposed to a promising meta world, the way things yeah. are right now? And will all of the periphery devices and things that were going to be sold with this, what are going to end up with those? And how are they going to be manufactured? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think we're thinking of saying that when I start to think about designing a product, will it be reused? Will it come across here? And those are big questions. Those are That's big questions. During our show, the last hour, if my math is right, Apple would have sold 28,000 iPhones just right. in the last hour. Yeah, based so. on the latest numbers that they just published. So yeah, it's, it's on the Apple side is it's the, the sustainability and the reuse of components that Apple's been doing has been pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. and, but where are the old phones going, Ray? Because right I, I can open up my draw behind me and I've got a handful of old phones. <laughs> right so, to repair, yeah. you gotta be able to go in and you know yeah. service them. And yeah. service them and see what's going on. But 1984, what a great year. Where's the beef and sustainability? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. What a fun year. Um, hey, thank you so much for sharing just a little glimpse of the work that you've been doing. It was wonderful seeing you guys at the Emphasis event at Madison Square Garden in New York in November. Um, I think we got a lot out of that. That was definitely a hot theme as well among executives. Um, we are here with Corey Glickman, head of sustainability at Emphasis, and Jeff Cavanaugh, vice president and head of the Emphasis Knowledge Institute. We're so excited to have you here. You can follow Corey at Corey Glickman, and you follow Jeff at Jeff Cobb. He was probably early on Twitter. Hey, thanks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank, Thank you. Very congrats on the new book. Thank, Thank you. you very keep much. Keep learning. Keep sharing. Yeah. Love that. Love, Love that. that. That should be our motto for Disrupt TV. Keep learning. Keep sharing. And we got to do a metaverse. You and I got to create an avatar of each other. Get make sure our guests have their avatars <laughs> just to uh. To exoskeletons and the haptic gloves and like that. That's awesome. How much? I awesome. bet you didn't know, or maybe you do, that next week is our six-year anniversary. Whoa. Did you know that? Did you know that? No, I did not know that. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Episode 266, <laughs> 266. And it's our six-year anniversary. And if you recall, our second guest on our show was Crawford Del Pret. Oh, he was who great. at the time was the chief research officer at IDC. And today he's the president at IDC. And he'll be our first guest next week on our six-year anniversary show. By the way, by next week, we have had... 817 interviews. Who's counting? But 817 <laughs> interviews. Divide that by six, and you know we do well over 100 interviews a year, which is pretty awesome. Uh, we have Des Dearlove and Stuart Craner, co-founders of Thinkers 50. So they're going to be on the show. It turns, out, it turns out, Ray, that in the last 12 months, we've had 16 of the current 50 Thinkers 50 on our show. So wow. almost... Um, or, or more than a quarter of the Thinkers 50 on the 2021 list have been on our show the last 12 months. And we have Frank uh, Slotman, CEO of Snowflake and author of Amp It Up, Amp It Up. So get your popcorn, uh, put on the seatbelt, because next week's show is going to be just as good as this week's show. 
with incredible, four incredible, incredible. I don't know how we're going to squeeze that in, in an hour, Ray. You're challenging me with four <laughs> incredible guests like today in an hour. It feels like we're spending a minute with them. But anyway, we'll do our best. <laughs> Your closing thoughts on working from anywhere, commerce that's frictionless, and practical sustainability. You know, all I can think of is, you know, there's been so much movement. This is the great refactoring that we're talking about, right? From sustainability to how people view where they work, and, um, what they have to do in terms of getting commerce in the hands and products in the hands of people. We're rethinking things, right? This is not a reset. This is not a new normal. This is a complete refactoring by the time we're done. I remember the post I put out in the 20s, like 2020s, it's going to be like the roaring 20s. Boy, was I wrong. But hopefully the end of 2020, by the time we get through this year and the next year it's going to be awesome and maybe like 1984 uh, a few facts about 84 yes apple 1984 mac commercial but richard branson brought back air travel with virgin atlantic and purple rain also kicked off and the longest game in lmv history i think it was white Sox brewers was in there along the mix so anyways <laughs> bringing 1984 back to a close and taking us back into the 2020s um it's going to be an awesome awesome decade and i'm really looking forward to getting out of all this mess so um hey thanks everyone for being here if it's friday it's disrupt tv uh catch us 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m easterns most fridays and of course catch all the replays on um soundcloud on apple podcasts on itunes a whole bunch of other things and of course on twitter and of course on linkedin live so thanks a lot for paying attention and of course send your guests send your suggestions and we're very thankful thanks everyone